All right, so I've been using different psalms for prayers uh, to uh, to kick these uh, these off, um, and uh, I think that probably in the next I don't know if it'll be next week or the next couple weeks I'm going to start pulling in some uh, some other prayers from like other prayer books that I've used and stuff like that to just kind of expand. Uh, Expand our vocabulary, I guess, is a way to look at that, you know, uh, to grow from what uh, the saints who have gone before us have, uh, have used in their prayers. But for today, we have Psalm 123, which is very, very clearly a prayer. To you, we lift up our eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Amen. So uh, here we're, we're getting in, working our way slowly through um, Romans chapter 6. And uh, one of the things I want to reiterate is, is that part of what we're seeing here is the logic of the world. You know, as, as you know, he's as Paul is pushing back uh, with what what I like to uh, to call you know the new logic of what Christ is doing, and and I've I've picked up that language from um, from others, but uh, I, I think it's it's a, a good picture that in the world we think one way and you know. It kind of takes us in one direction. And in the church, you're in the body of Christ. Um, he teaches us to think a different way that's going to, to lead us in some different directions than, uh, than where the world w would lead us. And in the logic of the world, the logic of the world really, in a lot of ways, revolves around death. And that, that death becomes, uh, you know, that kind of that linchpin point that we either, you know, kind of all in and it all be, it almost becomes like something that we worship or it becomes something that is that repulsive thing that you know it, it's the uh, the 800 pound gorilla that we're just trying to ignore that's in the middle of the room and but it becomes really this uh, um, uh, it's not a guiding principle but it's it's something that it just everything in our lives you know bounces off of it in, in, the, in the logic of, uh, of the world and um, one of the places that we see this uh, is it's in evolutionary theory, you know, that everything comes back to death and life, and, you know, and, and uh, um, you know, and when I talk about evolution, I'm not just talking about, you know, biology, um, things evolve and things, things change. Um, uh, but what I find interesting, you know, in, biological evolution is that you know what it really co it comes down to is what is capable of reproduction you know to bring the next generation in and uh, you know how does that overcome death so to speak um, and uh, and one of the things that I find fascinating and this rolls into all kinds of different ideas in terms of how we handle our politics uh, how we look at business um, is that it's almost like there's an assumption that that which survives is good. That we're always on kind of this upward trend. And um, 
you know, and you see this in the logic of karma. You know, what comes around goes around, and you know, if you do bad things, you're going to get bad things, and you know, one gets what one deserves. But the logic of Jesus is different than that. You know, Christ did not deserve death, but he came to take our death into himself. And, um, and, and so when we look at this, this logic of death, I, I think that when we, we see these political ideologies that are about power and, and, and control, uh, these politics that I've tied to Moloch, um, that Old Testament God that, that required child sacrifice. Um, there, there's just this sense of power and punishment, and that's how you get people to conform. And, and that's, that's not the logic of the, the gospel. Um, but sometimes the church conducts itself that way. And that's something that is seductive. It's something that I think that we need to to be careful of and, and, and be aware of and to start to draw out of, uh, of Paul. It seems that's exactly why the uh, communist countries uh, uh, kill the church as best as they can um, because it's it's a clash. Yeah, yeah and not, not just the communists. Uh, take it back to uh, the Nazis too. Um, right. So why are the Nazis so strongly against the Jews? You know, part of it is that there's this there's an objective standard outside of um, you know their ideology, right. um, and uh, you know while Judaism uh, in essence leads to death because it you know rejects the Christ, there's still that message of a Messiah that comes to save. And, you know, and that is not acceptable in, in those type, type of climates of, of, of power that it ultimately consolidates um, the, the, the power to punish in the state. Mm. You know, I'm going to make you conform, you know, type of, of uh, uh, system of, of governance, um, which is de definitely part of the, the, uh, the socialist and communist type of um, ideologies as well. Um, so the new logic of Jesus, it, it, we see this in John chapter 10, verse 10. Um, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance or have it to the full, depending upon what translation you're, you're reading. Uh, both very good translations. Um, so jumping back in, uh, chapter, verse 9 is part of a paragraph that starts with verse 5. And um, I'll read this through, and, and uh, we're going to pick up on verse 10. For if we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being mm -hmm. raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So that you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, 
I looked at, uh, I was looking at some of the, we tend to call them the early church fathers. These were, uh, for various reasons, early uh, pastors, uh, leaders of the church that uh, are important for us to un understand the faith. And they, they helped to, uh, um, they helped particularly coming out of uh, the persecution before Constantine uh, into the church becoming more of a uh, uh, more of an organization. Uh, when you have the the church being persecuted, there there is order and there is structure, but it's it's not quite the same as you know what we see today with you know church officers and you know it, it, it's it's. People will, will blame Constantine for all kinds of problems in the church um, with you know, the way the church is structured and it's become this organization that seeks to protect itself and, and uh, sustain itself, which is, every organization has that, okay? Um, and, uh, and some of those concerns are very valid. You know, when you look at... Um, uh, what one of the obvious examples is in the uh, the Roman Catholic Church, the child abuse scandals, and the way that you know we're going to protect the structure. You know, that isn't just a Roman Catholic thing. You know that happens everywhere where you know you have religious leaders who kind of consolidate some of this power, and 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 then they use that to manipulate. Um, so it, you know, it's just that that's the one that tends to be in the headlines that people see a lot. Um, Mars Hill. Are, are you familiar with Mars Hill? Mark Driscoll was the pastor out there. Um, is, that, is, that, is that a... Are there several of those, or is there just one? And there may be other churches that are called Mars Hill. There's one in the Grand Rapids area. Yeah, and it's yeah. not... This one was out in Portland. Okay. Um, and Mark Driscoll was uh, one of these very charismatic guys, very power-driven, and uh, um, some very manipulative things that happened out there, and... and uh, um, Jim Jones. Jim Jones is another, you know, extreme example of of what we're talking about here, and uh, um, it's when like the structure becomes more important than the the mission. You know, it's yeah. survival mode. Yes. Yeah. So we have to protect the church rather than protect people. Um, we have to protect the pastor because that if we don't protect the pastor, then the church is going to fall apart. You know, and then where will we be? You know, uh, that that's not how this works. You know, it's really about being faithful to Jesus. The glory of day is actually a pretty cool example of that. You know, in terms of our first pastor here, um, got himself into uh, to some trouble and had to leave the ministry. Right? For those of you who know, he you know had an affair with the uh, the organist and um, had to you know be removed. Um, but uh, here we are, fifty years later, and you know, because it's not the pastor's church; it's Jesus's church. You know, and it's really you know keeping our, our, our focus on Him. But but anyhow, th th this is a quote from one of those leaders of the uh, the early church, an early pastor, uh, a guy by the name of Ambrose, who lived from three forty to three ninety seven ish. Uh, he was a, uh, a a bishop. He was a leader. Uh, in the church in Milan, Italy. It says, 
In the scriptures, we learn that there are three kinds of death. The first is when we die to sin and live to God. Blessed is that death which, escaping from sin and devoted to God, separates us from what is mortal and consecrates us to him who is immortal. The second death is the departure from this life. The third death is that which it is said, let the dead bury their own dead. So when it talks about Jesus, um, you know, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, and the life he lives, he lives to God. You know, he, we're talking about that he, he, he stopped breathing. On the cross, uh, we know that the, uh, the spear went into the side and you know, blood and water came out. And that was the sign that said that he was already dead. Um, and uh, you know, so he died that death uh, for us. As Christians, we receive that death in our baptism. So for us, that is the first death. You know, when, when, we, when, we baptize, when we're baptized, when we baptize babies, when we baptize anybody, you know, they die. Think of that language from the catechism, that in baptism, the old Adam goes down into the water and a new person comes to life. Uh, I, I, it's one of the things that's, I think, absolutely beautiful and powerful uh, about immersion baptism. Uh, part of me wishes that we did that as part of our regular uh, piety, um, but there are some real impractical parts of that as well. Um, Honestly, do you know why we baptize, you know, just kind of pouring water? It's mostly pragmatic. You know, you can find evidence of little baptismal fonts all the way back to the first century. You know, so it's not like, you know, we came up with this somewhere down the road. But think about, well, think about Martin Luther for a moment. Martin Luther was born on November 10th. He was baptized on November 11th. A little chilly, a little in, not near water. <laughs> in Northern Europe, in Germany, infant mortality rate is already fantastically high, which is one of the reasons they would baptize like right away, you know, within the next day. You know, this is one of the things that I see as a problem in the church these days. You know, babies are born and you know, we'll wait six, eight, ten months for a baptism. You know, because we got to get everybody together, and and this isn't judgment, but I do think that it, it I think it's a, it's I do think it's something that's not good for us. Um, you know, I think we want to get those babies there to the you know to, to get them baptized right away, um, and uh, the days of baptizing the child the day after those are pretty rare. I've only done that a couple of times, and it's usually been uh, emergency emergency settings like in the hospital. Um, but uh, um, that, that's that first death. And, and that one is a gift. And I like how Ambrose talks about it, where, where he says, blessed is that death. Um, it's the one that we escape sin and we become devoted to God. The second death is that natural death. And uh, we have plenty of that around us. But the third death is that one where a person does not receive Jesus' salvation. And this is... No, go ahead, please. So as Christians, do we only get two deaths then? Is that what he's yeah. saying? Okay. Yeah. So in a sense, everybody dies twice. It's just that if you die before you die, 
then you live forever. But if you die after you die, um, then that's... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that wasn't confusing at all. No, no, I understand. No, it was good. Yeah. It was, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, and this is, this is actually one of the points that people push back against. Um, the, the, the Mars Hill that's in Grand Rapids, uh, Rob Bell, I believe, was the pastor there. And uh, he wrote a book that's called uh, Love Wins, which is all about how, you know, there's no such thing as hell. Yeah. You know, and it's like, wait, Jesus pretty much said there was. So, I, you know, as much as I would like to think that there's not, this is, this is a reality. Um, that seems to be a growing point of view. It is. We've even heard of uh, it being preached in an LCMS church. <laughs> mm. <laughs> is this in my region that I'm responsible for as no, vice president? No, it's in oh, our good. home. It's in my home. I've been going there. I'm putting it that way. And so it's causing some upheaval. Mm. A real crisis of faith for leadership there. I bet. I bet. So, just can't stomach it, I guess. Yeah. What? So therefore, it must not be true. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, isn't that the problem all the time? I don't like this statement in the Bible. Therefore, it can't be true. Right. Well, the weird thing is, I get, I, I, I get the sense that I don't want to judge other people, but in a nanosecond, you're going to turn around and judge other people. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Just the other way. Yeah. And 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 everybody does it. Yeah. You know. It's it's the uh, it's it's like it's hardwired into us that we're going to make judgments on different things. I, I think the question then becomes how do you how do you connect that to a life of repentance? Yeah. You know to say you know you know I, I've got a problem with that, and yet I recognize you know I'm not I'm not judging you because I, I I have my own sin too. It's the get the log out of your eye before you try to take the pet yeah. speck out of your, your neighbor's eye. You know? Um, taking the speck out of your neighbor's eye is probably a loving thing to do if you can do it. Well, is there anything in the scriptures that we know of that says, well, if you don't take Jesus into your heart here while you're, quote, alive on earth, don't worry, you'll get a second and a third chance no. someplace else. I don't, I've never seen anybody quote that. Oh, they don't want to believe right. that you only get one, you know, but you never see, if you're a Bible believer, I I would love to see it someplace. <laughs> yeah. Lewis talks about it. C.S. Lewis talks about it. He said, I, I don't like the idea, of, but the fact is, you bought the farm. Yeah, and, and you know, and I think that I think that the idea that I'm uncomfortable with this, I don't like this. I think that's fine. You know, I don't I don't like the idea of people going to hell. Jesus doesn't like the idea of people going to hell. That's why he died for us. Right. You know, he he, he did something about it. Um, but then you know, he says, and I will give you this gift by faith. That's how you receive it. You know, believe in me. Uh, you know. Um, no, the passage that, uh, that comes to my mind and what you're talking about is from Hebrews. It's given to a man once to die and after that to face the judgment. Right. There aren't, you know, there's no purgatory where you can kind of work it off. Uh, there's no, you know, 
well, maybe after you die, you know, you get another chance. There's nothing in that in the scriptures. You know, if, if that's how God ends up doing it and that's his program all along, you know, that's well, fantastic. God. That's his business. Yeah. But that's not what he's given us, you know, in, in the word. Yeah. The generous vineyard owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which goes all the way up to the 11th hour. It does, yeah. But at the, you know, at the end of the day, the day is done. Yeah. You know? And, you know, and if he's generous beyond that, he, uh, he, he doesn't make it clear in that right. parable. Uh, and Abraham and the, you know, when he's in hell and, or no, you Lazarus, know, the rich Abraham, man. Yeah, the rich man and Lazarus, yeah. Yeah, that one. You know, that idea, he doesn't say, oh, well, now that you realize it, yeah, come on up. I mean, that's not the right. answer that he's given. In fact, the answer that he's given, you know, he, he says, well, you know, I have brothers. Please send Lazarus back to them. And, and, and uh, Abraham says, uh, they have Moses and the prophets. And he says, no, Lord, but if somebody rises from the dead, then they'll believe. And the kicker in that, that story is, Jesus says, even if someone rises from the dead, they still won't believe. If they won't believe Moses and the prophets. So, um, so yeah, you know, there, there are these three deaths and, and, and Christ died to sin. And when we have faith in Jesus, it, it releases us from that third death. You know, the one where Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Um, so he died in such a way uh, as to atone for sin. And another quote, th- this is from John Chrysostom. Um, Chrysostom is kind of an interesting guy. Uh, his name, it, Chrysostom is a nickname. It means golden mouth. Uh, he had quite the, uh, the reputation as a preacher, um, which if you go back and read some of this, it's like, well, okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, I, I'm not saying that I'm like the best preacher in the world or anything like that, but, you know, and I do know that. Sometimes my sermons go too long, but I got nothing on some of these guys. Mm-hmm in terms of length of sermons. So I'd be thankful, I guess. Uh, he, he writes, what does died to sin mean? It means that he was not subject to sin, but that in order to destroy it and remove its power, he died for our sin. Do you see how Paul frightens them? For since Christ die, does not die twice, there is no second washing. So you had better steer clear of any inclination towards sin. Uh, I, I I come back to this in a, a little bit later, but this is the way that he uses this as a warning. Uh, it is, uh, um, I find that interesting because we would usually think of, you know, the word Christ died for sin. That's gospel. And notice the way that he spins it back to the law. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you better watch yourself. Um, and... And that's where I run into the problem with guys like Chrysostom. Um, but you know, that first part, it, you know, it means that you know, he was not subject to sin, but that he put himself under it for our sake in order to, to die for us. And he, he died once for all. Um, so in other words, the way that he died, he, he, mm-hmm. he died once mm-hmm. and never again. You know, he, so in, uh, in the Catholic Mass... They teach that when you do, 
when the, when the priest speaks the words of institution, that this is a re-sacrifice of Jesus, you know, his body and blood. Um, and uh, we would look at that and say, no, Jesus is not re-sacrificed. He, he died once. But the gift that he gives, he continues to give, you know, through the word and, and through his promises. And, uh, um, you know, so he died once and he's never going to die again. Um, and uh, uh, it's really, when it says he died once for all, uh, that word, there's one word that's translated once for all or once and never again. It's an adverb. Um, you know, lolly, 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 get your adverbs here. You remember that? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I find it interesting sometimes how to bring the idea across, you kind of have to separate. But, um, you know, the once for all, it's, it's descriptive of, of how Jesus dies. It, it's a, uh, you know, he dies... It, perfectly you know it's 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 a, a final death yeah. uh, and he gives that finality to us um some of you know i, I really like um a christian artist named michael card and uh, i i find him to be his music to not just be beautiful but his lyrics to be really biblically thoughtful and uh um he, he wrote a song called, uh, called The Incarnation where he, he talks about how um, in Jesus, God speaks one final perfect word. That's what this is. Jesus dies in such a way that it's, it's just done. Um, going back to the crucifixion, Jesus says from the cross, it is finished. Again, one word to telestai it, a financial term, paid in full. You know, and, and all of that is wrapped up in, in this you know, once for all uh, type of idea. Um, so he dies once for all, it's done, and now he's alive and he lives to God. And so in the same way, in the same way, verse 11, as Jesus died to sin and lives to God, you, believers, also consider yourselves to be dead to sin and living to God in Christ Jesus. Um, I think that the, uh, the ESV uh, translates it alive to God. Um, where, oh, this one. Um, yeah, so you must consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. Um, it's actually a participle, and I like that because it, it, it has that, that feeling of activity to it. It's not just that you're alive. You know, I sometimes have conversations with people um, whose loved ones are on life support, or technically they're alive, right? But are they living? Uh, this is actually a conversation Chris and I have had a lot through the whole COVID thing, you know, so we do all this stuff to be alive, but are we living? It's quality, quality of life. Right. You know, yeah. basically. Yeah. You know, you know it, it, and that's not an argument to say, you know, pull the plug or anything like that. <laughs> um, but uh, I do think that there's room there to say, 
don't hook me up. You know, uh, uh, but um, man, I'm like all over the place. My ADD is bad today. Sorry. <laughs> um, so this, this idea that we are living to God in Christ Jesus, you know, it, it's it's this faith is something that's active. This will come back in chapter twelve, right? Living absolutely. Christ. Yeah, that's Calvin's big verse for the last several decades. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. Um, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, what does that transformation look like? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's active. Um, and the Lutheran hour this morning, Michael Ziegler, um, he continues to preach on the same text that I'm preaching, and I'm like, oh, so deficient. He needs either to be behind or ahead, so you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I you're mean, all following the same. Could, could he just right? pick one of the other readings, you know? <laughs> um, but a fantastic sermon on. Um, uh, that, that faith is like an elephant, you know, and and it's going back to James, you know, that, that you know, if you ever watch an elephant, elephants are never standing still. They're always kind of shaking. Their ears are flapping. Their tails going the the trunk. You know, they're they're always always active, and they're extremely powerful. Um, except that people can shackle them. You know, especially you know if they get them when they're really young. And, you know, and in a sense, they, they harness their strength. But one of the things that has never happened with elephants is that they have never been domesticated. You know, so when you think about cats and dogs, we have all these different breeds. That's us playing with, you know, different traits and stuff like that. Doesn't happen. If you take, if you take your dog out into the wilderness and say, be free like the wolves. Hmm. <laughs> Gonna starve to death. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you yeah, yeah. With an elephant, you take it back out in the wild. Be free. They're fine. They never lose that that wildness. You know, and so you know, it talks about trying to tame our faith so that you know it, it becomes something that you know we kind of have under control. But it, it, it's really meant to be this living and, and, and vibrant thing. Um, so, yeah, Lutheran Hour, if you're listening, Lutheran Hour, um, Lutheran Hour Ministries, uh, lhm.org, uh, check it out. You know, another great message. Um, <laughs> that's right. If you want to sponsor this Bible, <laughs> they don't even know I'm here. <laughs> they might now. <laughs> yeah. I'll so, tag them in the Facebook. Okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That would be hilarious to get a comment. Oops. Uh, so I, I think the, the question that comes to my mind um, when, when we, we start talking about this, you know, living to God, uh, is, is uh, a, the title of a book from uh, Chuck Colson. Um, and he got this from someplace else. Uh, I, I haven't been able to trace it back. But the question is, how now shall we live? Look at what Jesus has done. How now shall you live? In light of what, what he has done. Um, and, the, and the early leaders of the church, they really strongly emphasize, you know, Christ died once and, and, the, and, and now he lives. And he used that, they used that message to urge believers to shun sin and not to return to it over and over again. You know, and I think that this is one of the biggest uh, deficiencies that, that we have um, in the churches, 
you know, we struggle with calling sin, sin, and, um, and saying, you, you shouldn't do that. You, 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 and I shouldn't, I gotta be careful about this because it's not all sins. You know, you mentioned, I think, judgmentalism earlier. Well, we're really big on judge not lest ye be judged. At one time, the most famous passage of the Bible is John 3.16, God so loved the world. Now, if you were to do a survey, what's the most famous Bible passage? It's, you know, Matthew, judge not lest ye be judged. You know, so... That's my son. He's nice and early. Yeah, you can hear that V8 engine, though. Um, but uh, uh, this, this idea that, uh, you know, there's an objective standard out there, you know, in terms of what is sin, what is not. Sometimes it's complicated in terms of how you live in relationship to these things. But at the same time, uh, you know, we, we can't say that you know, it's, it's not sin and pretend that it's not. We continue to call ourselves and others to, to repentance. And when we don't repent, when we don't recognize things as sin, that is damaging to us. So, as Chrysostom said earlier, you know, you'd better steer clear of any inclination towards sin. We want to resist that. We want to shun that. And this is what um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, referred to as, as cheap grace. When we just kind of say, oh, my sins are forgiven. It doesn't matter. In one sense, is that statement true? That, you know, God's grace is sufficient and it doesn't matter what you do? Yeah, that is true. On the other hand, you know, that's not an excuse to keep on sinning. Yeah. You know, and, uh, um, you know, so one of the famous quotes from Martin Luther, you know, sin boldly. Um, my understanding of that quote, he had a, uh, a younger contemporary by the name of Philip Melanchthon. And uh, uh, Philip was a genius, and uh, he uh, did incredible work. Um, and he's probably one of the least known of the reformers, and one of the most important. Um, and uh, he uh, was very, very bothered by his sin. And Luther basically says, "Go do something real, you know. <laughs> Go on and actually sin, and then come back and talk to me, you know, because he's living this really almost." Uh, prissy life, you know, and and uh, um, yeah, he's like, no, just go, go sin boldly, and then then let's talk about God's grace, and you know, but think about how that that passage has been abused over the years. That that little quote's been abused, you know. Um, I know what I'm doing is wrong. Well, sin boldly. No, Jesus says, repent. Now, on the other hand. A person is really weighed down by their sin. There is, you know, in their mind, no way that they're saved. Are you kidding me? Was Jesus' death not enough? Sin boldly. Don't be afraid of that. Christ's grace is sufficient for you. They sound like opposites, but they're really two sides of the same story. It's just dealing with that person where they're at. Whether they're kind of secure and comfortable in their sin or, or whether they're terrified of their sin. You know, and so we don't, we don't want to make grace to be this thing that's cheap and, and a license to do whatever. 
the chapter starts out with, shall we sin all the more that grace may abound? Certainly not. You know, so we, we live a life of repentance. We live a life that, that seeks to change. But at the same time, we, we don't have... We don't have that, that, that sin like um, uh, the rhyme of the ancient mariner, that, the albatross around the neck that just you know, constantly weighs down and brings the ghosts back to us. Um, so uh, this, this, this is really at the heart of, of repentance. And uh, this is what we're talking about here, living a life of repentance. And uh, I like this quote from the large catechism. Um, Repentance, therefore, is nothing other than a return and approach to baptism. We repeat and do what we began before, but abandoned. It's constantly returning to the grace, returning to the forgiveness, and then striving to live the life you know, that, that, that God has given us in Christ. Um, Psalm 23, verse 6. Um, so Psalm 23, uh, the, good, the good shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? Um, uh, I've been kind of chewing on this passage in, in the, the Hebrew and uh, verse 20, verse 6 is just so beautiful. You know, so we, we know this in English. So surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, but when I was reading it, uh, when it says surely goodness and mercy, um, that word for mercy is the word chesed. I've mentioned that word. Um, it means loving kindness. You know, mercy is a good translation of it too. But this is the Old Testament version of grace. So I think that you could make an argument to say, surely goodness and grace will, it's not follow like, you know, a little dog that comes behind you, you know, heal. It's follow like the wolf that's chasing you down. The hound of heaven pursuing us. Uh, coming after us. Uh, that, that word can actually be even translated persecute. You know, goodness and mercy continue to chase us down and I will return to the house of the Lord forever. So you can see where I return to the house of the Lord, I'm going to dwell there forever. But it's the same word as repentance. And so there's a sense of, I keep wandering, and God keeps chasing me, and I keep coming back. It's the like word stalk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. in, in a way, yeah. Yeah, you know, in that sense that he keeps coming after, because he's going to grab us. Yeah. Although I think that has some connotations today that are a little bit creepy. and uh, It does, but I mean, the original word. But in the original sense of that word, yeah. form of hunt. Exactly, exactly. You know, and, and so I, I think that there are, there are some images there that are helpful for us. Yeah. I think you were going to say something. Well, oh, I said I think I think like the herding dog. You know, always kind of the sheep, and then the, uh, you're back there. Oh, what about over here? You know, that yeah. kind of always keeping me where I need to be, or pushing me back to where I need. Yeah, to be. yeah. So there's there's some beautiful imagery there. I think. Um, so. What I think is most difficult about all of this for us um, is that our repentance and our changed life flow from the righteousness that come from faith. You know, if you don't have the righteousness that come from faith, then any kind of change in behavior really doesn't end up meaning that much in God's economy. 
Um, it might mean something in this world in how we relate to each other, but you know, it, in terms of um, uh, you know making us better with God, it, it really doesn't. You know, and so what happens is we get turned around thinking that to get righteousness we need to repent and change. It's more like you've been given righteousness, the kingdom of God has come. Repent, change. And believe this good news that, that uh, um, Christ has come for you and, and you're saved. They're two sides of the same coin. You know, and, I, and I find it kind of fascinating that as we're working through this, we're getting into uh, the epistle of James uh, for our, our readings. And we're going to be wrestling with this idea uh, in there, even during the sermon today. So yeah, I've just gone over time, so sorry about that. Um, but uh, we'll pick it up at uh, verse 12 next time. And uh, thanks, everybody.